You're listening to The Devoted Podcast, where our desire is to be women devoted to the Word of God. We're so glad you're here, and we pray you'll be challenged and encouraged as we look to God's Word together. Hey guys, welcome back to The Devoted Podcast. Well, today I'm having Pastor Gabe join us again. Gabe, thank you so much for doing this with us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We have had Gabe on before. So if you guys haven't got to listen to some of those podcasts, man, I think you came on maybe like the fourth episode that we did. Third or fourth? Sounds something like we that. We gave him yeah. like a really hot, like controversial topic right out of the gate. <laughs> Thank that, you. Yes, you're so welcome. And so, and it's actually interesting because that might have even been almost, we've been podcasting now for one year. So you hey. were... You were here right at the beginning. Yeah, here we are. One year mark. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> but I asked Gabe, first of all, because I just really appreciate all the pastors here at Athey, but Gabe in particular, he is often, he is just here to provide oversight for the Athey Women Ministry. And then also, I bounce a lot of stuff off of Gabe and we, and he helps in our studies and different things like that. And uh, we were in a meeting last week and he brought up this analogy about a three-legged stool. And I want to have him explain that a little bit and talk about how this relates to where we are even culturally right now and then where the breakdown comes when one of our legs falls off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. You know, I was uh, just in this past year or so thinking about what the Lord has given us. And he's, he's given us quite a bit. But if I could categorize these things, uh, put them into three different categories. For Christian growth in particular, you know, I, I, in that three-legged stool, I was thinking that uh, he's given us his spirit, he's given us his word, and he's given us one another. And we can overemphasize or de-emphasize any one of those categories and end up in a little bit of error. You can see this in, you know, what we would kind of define as the personality of a particular church. Um, you know, some some churches might overemphasize the spirit. And uh, when you focus purely on the spirit and your your, your word, the word is de-emphasized. Maybe people loving one another is even de-emphasized. You kind of have flopping in the, down the aisles or, you know, kind of joking, swinging from the chandeliers. Uh, there's really no grounding. It, it's just, you know, whatever feels right um, can be a little bit odd. And uh, you're, you're in error. You could have a, a personality of a church or a personality of, of, of faith, so to speak. And it's all emphasized is just the word. It's only the word, and uh, really, it's it's dead in the sense that you know you're you have to be right. You're the one. I'm the one that's right. And so you're reading the word, and you someone you come across someone that's wrong. And you're like, this is nope. This is what it says in the word, and you're wrong. And you can come across unloving, um, and really, the spirit isn't applying the word to your to your life. And then you have the you know that church personality that could be particularly just focused uh, on people where it's all about community and just community, community, communities, you know, mentioned over and over again. And I don't say that because community is not important. It is, but we can overemphasize it. And, you know, you're spreading bark dust at the school and you're doing, you know, you're, you're giving graciously to the community, but Jesus has never mentioned, um, and you're nothing more than just a food pantry. So there's really in that, those three things, I think if, if any one of those elements are pulled out from underneath you, you fall. Mm-hmm. And we need a good balance. And you see that in scripture, um, even as you read, you know, the Pauline epistles, for example, I think maybe even last time I, I may have brought this up, there tends to be a pattern or a structure of scripture where initially Paul opens up with a large theological understanding of who God is, of who you are, and then here's how you live. 
and all the things you see there in play, even in the small little letters. You know, you're going through uh, Galatians with the women right now, and you'll notice the first four to five chapters, almost maybe four chapters. It's, it's here's this theological understanding. Once you get to chapter five, now here are the things that, that are sinful. Here are the things that are fruits of the spirit. Like it's it's practical near the very end, end of it and how you live it out with one another. And so in today, you know, thinking of this in context of, you know, isolation or, you know, with <laughs> current structure as it is in our government or anything like that, you wonder, man, what is, what is going on? If How right. do we have all three of these legs in place. Right. You know, so what we're talking about is the the three legs, and I think we're calling that the spirit, the word, and the church, right? Or, mm-hmm. you know, loving people. And equally all important, you need all three legs in order to be still on your chair, right? So we're not de-emphasizing necessarily that one of those is not important, but it's the fact that you need all three to stay really grounded in it. As you take each one of those, how do you see, I I think the spirit one, you went into that a little bit, and I think that's a good picture. We know the churches that kind of emphasize on the moving and working of the Holy Spirit, not to say that isn't an important part, but minus those other issues, especially with the word, you're going to be not grounded and there's Mm -hmm. no foundation. I think you're the one that told me having your feet firmly planted in midair. Right. (laughs) And I've used that quote before. So I think there's there, but how do you see, you know, you started talking about the churches that emphasize the word. I think we can be seen as that. And we want to make sure we are really solid in the things of the word. But how, what, what, look at that, how that could be misused as well. Yeah, and I, I slightly referenced it. If you're just, let's say you're just focused on the Word, and you really, it, it becomes, it can become rigid mm-hmm. in that sense. You know, it's, you could be as, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, you know, you could have all knowledge and speak tongues of angels, but have not love. I'm a clinging gong. I'm right. I'm right. I can say the truth. But if you don't do it in love, that means there has to be someone to love. So there's a, there's the, there's the people aspect uh, of things. We, we, I hope, you know, in, in today's day, we can go and, um, you know, hop on our computers and isolate ourselves and watch YouTube and study and do all these things and listen to podcasts and grow in knowledge, understanding, and we can do it in a non-loving way. It's all selfish and self the way that it's that it just feeds ourself. And then we go out and we just look at everyone that's wrong. They're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong, they're wrong. And you just start labeling everybody as wrong. And, and it, that could even isolate you further. And, you know, there are some, you know, quote unquote discernment ministries that end up in a camp, that can end up in a camp that way, where they're the only ones that are right and everyone else is, is wrong. So pause on that, explain that, because that's actually been a really big thing that I have been noticing. I, I don't know, my my audience is women, so I see it a lot in there. But there are, and I'm, I don't want to make it sound like a discernment ministry is bad, because clearly we are instructed from Scripture to be discerning. But there is an element of some of the discernment ministries that, man, they're almost like they're out to get you if you've got even one little piece that seems off. What, where do you see, where's the balance with those types of ministries, you think? <laughs> well, this is a little bit of a tangent, and I might be not the best to ask, just because I have a, a love and affection for the church, mm-hmm. and I'm a pastor of a local church, 
I do think that the local church is the thing that should be the discernment, help you in discerning. Uh, as pastors were called to, to feed the flock there in Acts chapter 20, verse 8, we're to tend the flock that is among us and to be looking out for those wolves. Like that is a charge to the pastor of a local congregation, to the yeah, elders of okay. a local congregation. So you need to be plugged into a local congregation. Now, the discernment ministries, n- not to say that they're not of benefit. Uh, I'm always a little leery of of those that that there's no grounding to a local congregation. Mm. Those sort of things should be happening in the local setting, and not just a a website that tells you here's what's right or wrong, or a YouTube that's right or wrong. And maybe I'm old fashioned in this because I, I I do know that the boundaries, so to speak, or the the flock that is among you is expanding beyond the physical location. So this is re- requiring me to think a little bit outside my own brain because when I think among us, I think of those that are in this building or those that that consider themselves athe creakers. But that has expanded in, during this season, uh, this past year to the you know, further points of, of the United States and outside the country. So how that works, if, if you're part of a local congregation or a broad congregation, you say, hey, this is my church, they're, the, they're going to be the ones you're going to depend upon for watching and warning. And I would hope and pray that, you know, if you're not a part of, of this local church, that you're a part of a local congregation uh, or a congregation that is watching and warning and giving you the word and loving you <laughs> and is filled with the spirit. So balance that then with Paul's charge that we be like the Bereans, Yeah, that it's more of an individual call to be discerning. Yeah. So it is, we are called, you know, be like the Acts 17, 11 there to be like the Bereans, to, to go back, to, to see what's being said is true. We have the, you know, the ability to actually read the word. You know, I was thinking of this earlier in our conversation where, you know, you think of the printing press, which 500 years ago kind of came into existence, maybe 600 years ago, but really started getting big about 500 years ago, which then the price of printing and production and stuff came down so we actually could have Bibles and books and stuff in our hands. Um, if you read some of the early church fathers, and by church fathers, it means like 380 or so, so not not um, Paul and Peter and those guys, uh, they didn't have their own personal Bible to go back and study, mm-hmm. right? So when you read Acts chapter 17, like how did they, they didn't all go back individually, Right. They went back as a group and they studied it. The the early church fathers, it's funny to me, I think it's Irenaeus that said that he he called personal reading devilish. <laughs> no, no scary. don't get me wrong. <laughs> I'm thankful that we can read like internal reading, like not reading out loud. And mm. the reason for that was is because you didn't have like you you had to come together to hear the word. You know, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God because it's spoken, it's read out loud for everyone to hear it. When people would gather together in the early church, it was read aloud because not everyone could sit there and read. Not everyone one was the had the ability to read, and two, not everyone had their own personal Bibles. We can go back and look at our own personal Bibles and read. And part of this is, you know, Scripture. Um, we we're a very individualistic culture, and so. Even in scripture, when we read the word you, for instance, we think individually. Now, if we had the Southern translation, you know, we'd be y'all. Y'all. Look, I mean, even if you have a, you know, Logos or you go to blueletterbible.org and you're reading reading scripture and click on and, and look up the word you, more often than not, it is plural over and over again. Now, that's not to say 
We're not called individually. We shouldn't do these things individually. I think, again, we can overemphasize the individual aspect of things and forget about the plurality of, of what we're called into. Yes, we're called through a narrow gate, I'd say individually, but we're called into a family. Um, we're brought into the family. We're adopted into a family. We're not adopted in so that we can have our own pleasure and it's about us. It's not even necessarily about the family. It's about the Lord. But but I say all that because we, we can overemphasize the individualistic side of things. And then we can, be, we can become, even in the midst of a group, a lone ranger. Now I'm talking a little nuancy on, on some of this stuff, but this is why it's so important in my mind. It is why it's so important to be plugged into, to be part of a church. And if you're able to attend, yeah. to yeah. be there, you know, that three-legged stool, the, the, the people side of things, it, those one another verses all throughout the New Testament are really hard to do by yourself. Yeah. And they're really hard to do even online. I, I have to admit, maybe I struggle with that and maybe others are better than me. <laughs> I, I'm still learning in that area. But, you know, be kind and compassionate, tender-hearted, loving one another, forgiving each other as Christ has forgiven us. Um, you can totally do that online by not responding to mm-hmm. Facebook. Like, we're we are horrible communicators uh, in, so, in the social media realm. And so a lot of these things, you know, we do need to gather together. We do need the Word. And we need the Spirit to apply the Word to our life that we can love, that we can forgive, that He that He empowers us to do what He's called us to do. Again, if you take any one of these elements away, I do think that you we're just not going to mature in the way the Lord wants us to mature because He's given us given us these things. And I actually, you know, it might have felt like a little bit of a tangent, but I think the discernment piece is really critical actually in this because it re, our, it's discernment is what is needed to re, like look at all of these different elements of the spirit, the word and how we're gathering and discerning matching that against scripture. How are we doing on those things and doing a little self-evaluation in there, but you do have to have like sharpening those things of discernment. And I do like the piece of what the gathering together does for that sharpening of discernment. Like you were saying, taking it away a little bit from the individualistic, not that we aren't personally called to discern, but there's a sharpening aspect when you are with other people. I was um, just a couple weeks ago at one of the Bible studies, I had a gal come up to me and just talk about how her faith really struggled this last year because of isolation. There was no other voice. And she even used the word, there was no sharpening in my life. And I thought that was so interesting, and and it was sort of kind of thrust upon us. We didn't necessarily have a whole lot of choices this last year, it felt like in some ways, but the repercussions of it, I think people didn't realize once you get into the rhythm of doing something, then you're like, well, this is just Mm -hmm. what we do. And it takes a sec to stop and go, oh, wait, I've been hanging out by myself for a long time. (laughs) There's nobody sharpening me. And that's a great analogy, the sharpening aspect. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a, a... wannabe woodworker. And uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot of time for it, but you know, you have a chisel or a, a block plane and you have to sharpen the edge of these things to keep them sharp. And, you know, we, we can think of, you know, if we're, if we're, you know, a block plane or if we're a a chisel with a sharp edge, you know, the things that we tend to focus on are the moments in our lives when they're dropped and it's like a big chink. It's like, oh, that, that doled me or that, you know, and, and, and those, those tend to be rarer than the, sl- the, the, the slippery slope of things as just the, as a, you know, a tool's being used, it's dulled. Yeah. 
and it's slowly dulled over time. And then you're like wondering, okay, why isn't this working the way it needs to be sharpened? It needs to be brought over to, <laughs> to people and, and to be sharpened, that we would sharpen the countenance of one another. And it is interesting how we don't recognize that right away. It is something that's a, uh, if it was a more cataclysmic thing, it would be like, oh yeah. But because it's a slower sort of slide away and it's something, you know, that Satan wants to use in our lives totally. And our own flesh gravitates towards it. It becomes, things become easy. Uh, we always take the the path of least resistance. Yeah. Unfortunately, our, you know, sinful depravity, we just go, oh, this is easy. This is what works. I'm just going to kind of fall back into this sort of thing. But, you know, week after week, you know, people walking into the church, we see tears streaming down people's faces and just, just to be able to see people, to worship alongside God's people, how, how absolutely beneficial it is and how needful it is in our growth and our maturity. And, you know, we talk about this day of, you know, fear and anxiety. I think Pastor Brett, even this past weekend was just talking about anxiety. We need we need one another mm-hmm. in that, um, but it's not just one another. <laughs> right, right. It is, but I also, with the who the one another is too, I think that's an important yeah. thing because in our inputs that we get and, you know, sadly, I think probably to our detriment is a lot of our inputs are more of a digital nature and not so much of the in-person ones. But even then, once you do start acquiring the in-person ones, what type of character are we because that you know if you're not going towards a person or somebody that's going to sharpen you you're not necessarily moving in the right direction either and again i think that's where that tangent of discernment comes along of seeing discerning the people that we are getting our input from and are getting our our sharpening from yeah there and there's a i'd say there's a there's an absolute truth to that. You know, bad company does corrupt good morals or good character. Mm-hmm. Scripture, scripture declares um, that is true at the same time out of the overflow of the mouth or the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of us is what is inside of us. And so it's convicting you know, and humbling thing is. all and at so the same time. We, we, we do need to realize, you know, I, I uh, often equate life and its circumstances to a giant ladle to the cesspool of our heart. So when you're going through difficulties and you're going through heartache and you're going through lockdowns and you have five crying children and you respond, you lash out and you say things you shouldn't say and you do things you shouldn't do. And we can easily blame it on the lockdown or we can blame it on the circumstance when in actuality, that's nothing more than a ladle just dipping down into the heart going, that's what's already inside of you because it's coming out of you. Now, there is a reality to those around you. Um, bad company does corrupt good, good character. There is an influential side of that. But it's only influential because it's inside of you. Because you, you can be corrupted even further. Uh, not because you're so great. It's like, because Jesus wasn't corrupted. He hung around bad, bad company. Uh, he, I mean, his, the guys he chose were not like, great dudes. And Judas Iscariot was stealing money from the bat, money back. I mean, like th- these guys are not the greatest guys. And Jesus, no, he's Jesus. He is God, yet he's also man. So we, we do need to realize that what comes out of us is what's inside of us, but those around us can corrupt it even further. Mm-hmm. So we can't just blame those around us and say, well, you're the reason why. There's a reality to that. There are some that are that could be drawing you down mm-hmm. that you might need to step away from. Online, podcasts you're listening to, movies you're watching, mm-hmm. there are things that can influence the way that we think, not in a good way. It's because of that, because our own inner nature is sinful, um, we should steer clear of that. 
because it can already kind of fill up what's your expand, there. so mm-hmm. to speak, what's, what's already there. So, but it doesn't, it doesn't take away the blame um, right. on us. You know, we look at, uh, you know, we're, here we're kind of moving out and out of COVID land or Corona land in the sense of, you know, most states are starting to open back up. We're not really, really, but most states are starting to open back up and some semblance is normal is coming, you know, and, and uh, the thing I've been thinking about is, you know, while the world has been, been, been kind of panicking about this, about coronavirus and sickness and, and, and health and all these things, sin is still a bigger problem. That is such a great point. We need to hear that more sin often. Sin is still I think. a bigger yeah. problem than the disease. Like yeah. we need to realize this. Like there's a bigger problem than coronavirus, and it's sin. Yeah. And it's not going to be. There's not going to be a vaccine created by some doctor in some place that might might heal you. Mm-hmm. Sin is still a problem. We've been so distracted, yeah. so distracted with our own health that we 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 will sidestep things for our own health. We will, you know, disobey the Lord. And this might be strong language here in not gathering because we're afraid of our own health. But sin is still a problem and the solution is still Jesus Christ. And I, I, I don't, I just, it's funny to me how the church, I would say globally has responded to this season. Now, different churches have done different things, but we need the gathering of one another. We need it for our growth. We need it because the Lord commands us to do it. And without it, we're of, you know, of dire, of, of, we're just not going to grow the way that we should. Now, there are some that absolutely are unable to, and have been even prior to COVID, unable to gather. And we have creative ways to get them plugged in and creative ways to find means. Um, but the natural gathering of, of God's people, I mean, the ecclesia, that's just what, you know, that's the, the church, the Greek word for church just means gathering. Right, right. You know, it's just the coming together of people. So a minute ago, you mentioned because fear and anxiety has largely fed into, well, you can look at how it kind of feeds into each of those mm-hmm. legs of the stool, but specifically on the gathering one, fear has taken a, you know, a stranglehold on a lot of people. And, you know, we are, you've, I've heard other people say it, it's, Fear has almost become more of a virtue that we we are fearful. And we're almost, if you are not fearful, it seems like, well, then you're cavalier and uncaring and unloving and you're, none of those things are true. <laughs> I don't even know how to continue to go in circles with that. But maybe talk a little bit about how fear has placed, what kind of hold that's had in all of this. Yeah, fear is a strong motivator for sure. And it can be, as you said, misconstrued as not loving when mm-hmm. you're doing things that look to some as as cavalier or, you know, shooting from the hip or, you know, but really uh, <laughs> fear has indeed, it can, fear isolates you, you know, fear gets into your mind and does, has you do weird things. You know, uh, I was thinking there in Numbers chapter 32, I believe it is, where it talks about um, you know, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. The Jews is a great parallel as their wilderness wandering or then in the desert to, to us right now. Because in that, fear has caused them to do many things that are not good. They were afraid of dying in the desert. 
So they cried out to, to Moses, did you bring us out here in the desert to die? You know, <laughs> they're, they're afraid of starving, um, of not getting food, of not getting meat, of not, you know, so it led them to complaining. And eventually it led them to the end, you know, to, to the edge there of the desert where the 12 spies go in. You know, if you know the, the story there, Caleb and Joshua come back and, you know, they, they're like, no, these guys, these giants over here, we can take them. The Lord has told us we can take them. Um, but the 10 spies were, you know, provoked there, Numbers 32, it provoked the people to fear. And because of that, the Lord's wrath was poured out on them, His, where they had to spend, you know, 40 years. They, they had to wait for that entire generation to die off, couldn't go into because their fear caused them to disobey the Lord. And, you know, over and over again, we can have, we can have fear provoke us to do sinful things. There's proper fear. You know, if my two-year-old runs onto onto the highway, I will respond quickly and run and grab her. You know, if she's running, you know, behind a a, a truck, you know, here comes a truck, I'm going to run over and grab her. We have these fight or flight responses that are built into our, the Lord's built into our body to react in specific times, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily call that, call that fear. um, But if you're living in that constantly, where you're living in this fight or flight, everything around you is an improper use of that fear. The Lord even tells us to fear Him. Now, the beginning of knowledge in, in Proverbs is the fear of the Lord. It's obedience to the God. Who who do we to God? Who is it that we fear more? Do we fear coronavirus or do we fear the Lord? Now, and I'm I'm using that um, pejoratively. I'm saying to to fear God in the sense that we're going to be obedient to Him because that which you you fear, you're, you're going to end up obeying. You're going to end up. It's going to end up causing you to act in a certain way. You know, you read uh, eventually in, in Hebrews chapter 13. You know, I've been thinking. You know, I. I oversee a lot of the counseling and, and ministry here at Athe, and we've been dealing with a, lo- a lot of heartache, and uh, we're seeing um, marriages and difficulties going on during this season, and it could be, I'm, I'm wondering, provoked, you know, by fear. You know, I know I'm shifting gears here, but I think this plays into, if, if uh, you know, most studies say, you know, there are two main leading causes of divorce. What would you say those are, Amy? I would guess finances is in there. Uh-huh. Ooh, what's the other one? Infidelity or sexual sure. issues, intimacy. And it's interesting to me that, you know, time and time again, as I've checked studies and look online now, studies are studies, but those tend to be the, the two ones that pop up over and over and over again. But in Hebrews, this is in the context of fear, Hebrews chapter 13, it's interesting to me that the Lord pairs these things, these two things together in the context of marriage. And then gives a solution and tells you what the problem is. And so in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, it says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexual, immoral, and adulterous. And then in verse 5, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Interesting, in that context, of fear. You know, <laughs> the real issue is the discontentment, the discontented heart. When we disfellowship ourselves from people, when we stray from his word, when we are no longer dependent upon his spirit, we allow fear into our lives uh, in a way that we are no longer obedient to him, that we're not listening to the Lord, and we end up discontent. We end up complaining. We end up murmuring and, and we end up trying to take what we think we should get. And this is what I deserve. 
When in reality is, if you really believe the Lord is my helper. Now, we're not thinking, we think of helper. It's not like Santa's little helper. Um, you know, it's the, it, they're taken from the Psalms. In Psalm 118, it's, it's the helper is Ezer, which God is the Ezer of Israel. He is the help of Israel as the idea. Um, it is something that is very commendable <laughs> to be. But the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? If we really recognize who God is, what he has done for us, and what he continues to do for us, what are we going to fear? Our lives might be taken, but what are we going to fear? Because they're, they're held in the hand of the Lord. I, I'm, my business might go under, but what am I going to fear? The, the, it's still, my, my life is in the hand of the Lord, and he is my helper. The, the God of the universe who created all things, who spoke this world into existence, who sent his son on the cross to die for me, he, he is my helper. So what am I going to fear? And that should bring us a sense of peace that then now we can trust the Lord because his word has told us that he's my helper. And then now we can go into fellowship with one another and love each other, not worried about what this person's going to do to me or take from me because I have everything in Christ. He who did not spare his own son will not also give us all things in Christ Jesus. And then I can trust in his spirit to live out that calling in my life. So I do think that fear is insidious and is not doing us well as a church. We cannot depend upon the world to dictate what we should fear. The Lord is whom we fear. You know, there, in, I think it's in Matthew 10, I could be off, uh, but when Jesus sends the disciples out two by two, he tells them, he kind of like motivates them. He says, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but destroy him who can, who can throw your, your soul into hell. Like he's like, because you're going to be rejected by people. You're going to be rejected, but trust in the Lord, fear him, be obedient to him. I don't think the days are going to get easier for Christians. It's not going to get easier for us. And so we need to trust in the Lord and lean not on our understandings. Yeah, that passage is uh, in Luke 12, 5, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, right. has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you to fear him. Such a right perspective on what we should fear. It's it's funny how we hear these we hear these slogans, we hear the things that we should be afraid of that is culturally being spread. Sometimes I think we just don't stop and actually ask ourselves really hard questions of what am I afraid of? Like if you had to sit down and write that question and honestly answer that question, no one's going to see your answers, but actually what are the things that you are afraid of? I think that's a great place to start sometimes of being having a good evaluation of the things that I'm afraid of and then putting those things, taking that discernment and measuring that against scripture and, and does this match up what I should be afraid of? This, that passage you bring up in Hebrews, I think, is just amazing right there. I, this is one of the things that I love about good Bible study. When you look at a verse and then you you know, you know see everything that comes before it, you're seeing something in full context. Because I don't think I've ever put those things together, that it's talking about marriage there, and then it's talking about not fearing. That's just fascinating to me. I love that. Yeah, now I, I could be walking into the lines then a little bit with you know the First Peter 3 passage there where it talks about a, a wife who whose husband is not being obedient to the word and how she is to respond. Mm. At the end of that passage, you know, it talks about that woman, the woman being the, the daughter of Sarah, which is, yep. you know, the, the, I guess the mother of faith, if you want to call Abraham the father of faith. Um, and it says, if you, you know, if, if you fear nothing that is frightening, 
Yeah. It's also in the same context because what can happen is our, our minds can run astray. We can begin to think that's not going to happen. It's not going to change. Is it like, it's funny. We, we begin to put all the dependence and trust. And I would put fear and trust in similar categories. Uh, we put trust in what we do, trust in the other person, trust in who we are. When an ultimate, ultimately we're to be putting our trust in the Lord. And there does need to be a, a, a you know, a modicum or a, a level of trust trust on the human level. There does, you know, we're not entrusting ourselves completely to somebody, but there does need to be trust. You know, as, as uh, I said earlier, you know, the overflow of the mouth, the heart speaks, you know, Jesus said, overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then Jesus also said that, you know, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I do think that, that the treasure of our heart is trust. It is faith is, is entrusting ourselves to, if we're going to trust somebody or someone with something, our heart's going to go there. If you're going to hire an employee, if you're going to enter into a relationship with someone, if you're going to, you know, enter into a fiduciary contract, what are you doing? You're actually looking at, there's, there's levels of trust. If you're going through an interview process with it, with someone you're going to bring on, on to your, into your company, you're on your staff, you're asking questions, not just to go, man, I really, these are, this is a great person. They're, they're so nice and they're, they're fantastic. They're probably not going to do really well at the job, but they're so nice. You're probably not going to hire. I would hope, <laughs> I would hope right. you would, you'd be kind about it. But like they, the reality is there's a, there's a level of trust. You're going to, I can trust this person with this. I'm going to trust them to do this in a, in a relationship. When you start dating somebody in our culture, it's, you know, I've been out of the dating scene for a very long time. So I'm probably not the best to talk about this, to be honest, but it's like used car salesing, you know, used car salesmanship where you, you take a car and, you know, it's, it's dinged up, but you, you fix the fender up and then you take the little smelly, you know, Christmas tree and you hang it there around the, around the mirror and you, you know, you vacuum it out and it looks all nice and clean. Oh yeah, this is great. Yeah. It has a little bit of a, of a, of a rattle, you know, as you hit up 55 miles an hour on the freeway, it shakes a little bit, but it's all good. You know, you make it look as clean and pristine as possible. In the context of dating, I love pottery. Yeah, I man, I love pottery. You know, and a year later, actually, I hate it. You know, so we can we can unfortunately oversell ourselves. But what you're doing, even dating, you're you're building up a level of trust that then you can then trust that person for marriage to give yourself to um, completely. And so um, trust, I think, is the currency of the heart. And fear, we're un, we're afraid to give out that trust to certain people. Um, and ultimately our trust is to be ultimately with the Lord. We should have an, an entrusting to the Lord that doesn't, doesn't give us, it doesn't make us uh, cavalier as you were saying earlier, because I trust the Lord, I could do whatever I want. That's, that's not, that's not the, the aspect. It's that when I get hurt, when the four falls out, where do I go? When coronavirus spikes again and the government lock, locks down again, do you run to the Lord? Where do you run to? That's whom we trust. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Um, trust in the Lord, lean not on our understandings, and I'll always acknowledge Him and He'll direct our steps. That, that trust, that faith that we have in the Lord is so vital that it, as we were even saying earlier, the fear aspect is, it, it shows us who we're obedient to, and in the midst of that, who we really trust.
the fears in our life, I think, will bring about. And I like that idea is you're saying, write a list out of the things mm-hmm. you're afraid. Because it could just tell you those are the thing. What do you really trust? Right. What do you really have faith in? Because in those, those are moments. And I would even add to that. Write out the things in which y- you fear and then go through each one of those and ask the Lord by his spirit to give you the ability to trust him with each and every one of those things. Right. And he'll give it to you. I love that you were pointing out in the Peter passage about don't fear that which is frightening. What a powerful line right there, because mm-hmm. we, we're not, it's not as if we're saying that there aren't things that you'll be experiencing in your daily life and, you know, in, in different seasons that will be frightening, but it mm-hmm. says, don't fear them. We were talking before about the, almost the pandemic is, it's sort of like what leprosy might've been back in <laughs> Jesus's day. And it's interesting because leprosy, it, I mean, they, they kept them on, they locked them away, right? And they right. would stay away from them at all costs. That was quarantine to the extreme. But Jesus's response to that is interesting, right? Because he's right. right in there with the leper and he is not afraid of that, which is frightening. Yeah. No, and and I mean, he's the one to bring the solution, to mm-hmm. bring healing, to show. I mean, these those people, the lepers, hadn't been touched, mm-hmm. and who knows how long? You know, however long they've had leprosy, let alone approached, because they were seen not just as you know leprous in the sense of the physical side of things, but spiritually, they thought that they got leprosy because of some sin in their life, because of some way they lived, whatever it is. So they were totally ostracized by all of all of society. And then Jesus to go out and to touch the leprosy, to heal the leper is amazing to me. And I think that kind of, in some ways, brings us back to where you started at the beginning, where you said uh, sin is such a bigger problem than all of these other mm-hmm. things that we're facing. And it kind of even makes me think of how the gospel really is the, it is the answer and is the equalizer of all of these things. Bring that back in. How do we, sometimes when you just say the gospel is everything and the gospel is the answer, it sounds very churchy. It sounds very, but practically, especially in as the antidote for what you said at the beginning, mm-hmm. that sin is a far bigger problem. It is. Sin is absolutely a far bigger problem. You know, uh, some of us may never contract COVID right. ever. Some of us may never have family members that die of it or friends that die of it may, but we have been affected by sin and we have sinned. We have sinned against others. Um, and that sin is egregious to God. It's not just a mistake. It's not just a one-off thing. Um, it is It is egregious and it's cancerous. You know, so this is why scripture, you know, John chapter three, where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus talking about, you know, you must be born again. It's not about us trying to, you know, reform the flesh. We cannot do that. We cannot, we cannot legislate the flesh to get better. It is the flesh. It is sinful and is depraved. Therefore, we must be born again. And the only solution is Jesus. No other system, quote unquote system, no other vaccine or solution, it, it offers a solution. Mm-hmm. Nothing but Jesus Christ, who bore the penalty for our sin on the cross. And so, yes, while, you know, the gospel is everything is churchy, it is True. Totally true. It is absolutely and utterly true. And it is what motivates me in what I do. Mm-hmm. It is what motivates me even in to not be fearful. Right. In the sense of sin and depravity. And the Lord has 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 given his life for me while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. 
And before I even turned to him and said, Lord, I'm a sinner, he gave his life for me. And knowing well before I even recognized that I was sick, he offered a solution to the problem. And he is the solution. So, you know, while there's a far greater problem, you know, COVID's going to eventually... Lord willing, no longer be in the headlines. It might be the next thing. It'll be the next thing, right? You know, it it might be, you know, whatever, a a social epidemic or whatever, you know, we're we're talking about. But the reality is, is sin is the worst thing. Mm -hmm. We need to recognize it for what it is. And it is egregious against God. The number one description of God is that he is holy. He is separate. He is other. He is distant. In that sense, this is why he sent his son. Mm-hmm. This is why Jesus came and, and took on humanity and he gave his life for us, bridging the gap that we can have a relationship with him. Not just a, not just a relationship, but now we are righteous in his sight. He has washed us and cleansed us and taken that leprosy and made us new. We're no longer a leper anymore. Um, he's, and uh, we have such a future and a hope in him that while we still struggle with the flesh, we're still battling, you know, as you're going through Galatians and once you get Galatians 5 and 6, like you start to see the battle of the flesh um, and the fruit of the spirit. The reality is, is that there's a hope and a future in all of this, that while, you know, we fight from a position, so to speak, in this world, from a place, you know, the high place above, like we, we, we already know the, the victory has been had, that Jesus died, his death, you know, dealt the death blow to sin. And there's coming a day when Christ returns that all these things that we are so afraid of will melt at his sight. You know, if you read the book of Revelation um, and you see so the, the fervent heat of the Lord melt the world, like these things are going to melt in, in the presence of, of God. Um, and he's going to bring down, you know, a new heaven, so to speak, on earth there uh, at the end of Revelation where Jerusalem kind of comes down onto earth. And it'll be, you know, there's a happily ever after. We have a future and a hope and we can trust the Lord. He has proven himself trustworthy because again, I go back to that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for me. Has Paul told Timothy that, you know, even if we are faithless, he is faithful still because he cannot deny himself. God is so utterly faithful, so utterly trustworthy um, that we need not fear. You know, we read often, fear not. You know, it's said often that Jesus said many times, you know, fear not, the imperative to not fear, but he always followed it up with a reason why. If you look in scripture and you do a search for just fear or do not fear, you'll always see a reason why you're not to fear. It's not just a command in space, but it's a command. And then he gives himself, as Hebrew says, he, he is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. I think I just want to end with that because while it doesn't matter really the things that we are facing, all of the little minutia perhaps of the things that are frightening, it could be something in your marriage, it could be something personally, it could be something financial, but there's usually fears at the root of it, but they are likely a giant distraction from the root cause, which the root is what we really have to deal with, and that is our sin, and the gospel is the answer for that. So I I hope that as you guys have listened to this today, that there's just been little things maybe that the Lord has put on your heart about, and maybe ask yourself, what kinds of things are you afraid of? Because Jesus is always, always going to be the answer for that. And where your focus is going to be, that's going to be the, the, that's going to be where you're going to be resting all of those fears 
is what you're focusing on. And if you're focusing on what the news is telling you or you're uh, trusting in what the latest medicine is going to be, that's going to let you down eventually. But the Lord is never going to let you down. So I hope this has encouraged you guys. Gabe, thank you so much for doing this and joining me. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, Amy. And we will catch you guys next week on The Devoted Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to The Devoted Podcast. We are a ministry of Athey Creek Christian Fellowship in Westland, Oregon. For more resources, or if you need prayer or encouragement, send us an email at devotedpodcast at atheycreek.com.